Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where as usual we will be delivering you with around 20 minutes of thought, insight and comment on three topics that we've noticed in and around the hotel investment space that are of interest currently. Uh, and the first of those we're going to talk about is to do with holiday parks. But before we get to those, let's talk, let's introduce uh, Andrew Sankster, the Editorial Director of Hotel Analyst, who's here with me. My name is Chris Bowne. I'm the Editor of Hotel Analyst. So holiday parks, two big deals have just taken place in this space. The really big deal in mainland Europe with um, Roompot, the Dutch uh, holiday park operator owned by uh, private equity investor KKR, uh, acquiring another big holiday park brand, Landell Green Parks also based out of Holland, uh, previously owned by Platinum Equity. Now, Platinum bought a, uh, a bag of various hotel, uh, sorry, not hotel, various holiday park and villa rental brands from Wyndham in 2018. They bundled them up into a group called Aways. Uh, that included the Landell Holiday Parks business. It also included um, brands which more to do with holiday rentals such as Ho Seasons, James Villas and Cottages.com. Uh, so Aways has uh, got rid of Landell. Uh, KKR has ended up with a massive holiday park business with 300 parks across 11 European countries which sees them set fair to uh, effectively dominate that uh, that niche. Uh, and uh, it means that Aways is now becoming effectively just a, uh, a holiday rental business. Uh, the scale of that big Roompot deal has rather overshadowed another reasonably sizable deal in the UK where CVC Capital Partners have acquired a, a company not called Aways, but Away Results for £250 million. Pounds. Um, that again, seeing more consolidation in the holiday park business in the UK. Interesting that these buyers and sellers are always all private equity investors, um, and even the ones that are checking out look like they've done quite well from these deals. So, uh, one of the things they are doing is making a big bet uh, on the continued uh, success of staycationing and of holidaying local rather than jumping on a plane and and jetting off to the sun. Will this be a long-term trend? This is what they're betting on. Are they going to win? Yeah, well, certainly uh, th there's a short-term bump here um, because of the, the staycation boost we are having in Northern Europe. Uh, I think that is going to go um there'll probably be some sort of hang on next year but the year after um 2023 i think uh, my goodness we, we have to get back to normality don't we by then um and at that point people are going to be jumping on planes um you can't really do much about the weather um <laughs> so if you like the the period in the in the drizzle um which the uh, northern european holiday park businesses have been enjoying right now is going to fade uh, but i think there are some good tailwinds behind the overall market which uh, means whilst it won't be as strong as they are this year and a little bit into next year um there there is still a trend towards it and i think if you look at people who are investing um consumers who are investing in in uh, caravans or sites um and indeed the second home market in northern europe i think there is a trend to seeing a bit more short-term um more domestic 
um, breaks um, and this is going to help this market um, and this is well the private equity who are bringing professional investors um, to bear in a market which for a long while has been quite inaccessible to professional investors and, and it's a very exciting business we've talked about it before in terms of the, the the very high level of returns and you know as is typical in such sort of narrow markets it's private equity that moves in first to open it up and that's what we're seeing here in the uh, holiday park market uh, there are a lot of parallels to where we were in hotels sort of 30 you know years ago or so uh in terms of it being a largely uh uh private equity privately held um business which is then as the professional investors get involved it sort of opens up and now we are where we are today in hotels um where they're seen very much as a mainstream real estate asset class uh, i think we're a good way off that for for holiday parks but you know this is the, the first stage of that process um one thing that you know i looked at in some depth in the the piece i wrote for hotel analyst perspective uh, the online version of what we're talking about today um is uh i i looked at some data from um bristol university put together by a professor there called richard davies and he's got some of the richest long-run price data on uk goods and services um, out there and he's collected this over the last 30 years or so and one of the things which really struck me is how in terms of hospitality we haven't seen the widening of prices the dispersion of prices which we have seen in some other markets so if the example I highlighted was socks um, and if we look at price dispersion on socks uh, 30 years ago in 1990 the lowest price socks were one pound the highest price were three pounds we come to today the lowest price is one pound the highest price is ten pounds you can see that huge spread in price now he didn't have um, the professor didn't have any data specifically for sort of hotel accommodation market but um, so he used pub meals as a proxy and his data on pub meals shows that there's been hardly well in fact there's been no increase in that dispersion over the 30 years and it strikes me that there's a opportunity for a, a, an entrepreneur and entrepreneurial businesses to get out there and exploit this gap at the high end of the marketplace um, people aren't pricing high enough and offering that truly high-end product which they're is clearly an appetite for and i think in one level i think it's not just about accommodation which uh is essentially a commodity offer right i mean you know you, you can have fancier beds and fat bigger rooms and that because there's a limit to that what you've got to offer is a, a better all-round experience um and i think what it is required is a combination of both the accommodation offer and the experience market now this is something which airbnb has already highlighted and if you look at the data in their prospectus their ipo prospectus um at the end of last year what you see is uh, a accommodation market which is sized at 1.8 trillion US dollars and an experience market which is only slightly smaller at 1.4 trillion US dollars. Now, I mean, these are massive numbers which don't have a lot of meaning, but but the, the essential point is that the experiences market in the view of Airbnb um, is almost as big as the overall accommodation market and yet we haven't seen anybody 
truly access this in a meaningful way and i think this is where there's going to be some fantastic opportunities over the next few years for people to get in there and exploit the market particularly at that high end point and it's just not being serviced in my view at the moment there's lots of people um, out there who have deep pockets um, um, in, 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 the, in the cliche of being um, time poor, cash rich, and, and there isn't the sort of domestic tourism offers uh, available for them. Um, and I think there's a great opportunity for that. Now we're going to talk about what's happening in the employment marketplace in hospitality. And we have a curious kind of juxtaposition at the moment. We have unions complaining about job losses and employers complaining they can't get the staff. So the complaint about job losses is coming from uh, the trade union Unite, which points out that uh, these pesky hotel operators who've decided they don't want to have rooms cleaned on a daily basis anymore to save money um, are putting uh, housekeepers out of work. Uh, but the, on the flip side, you've got, um, you've got hospitality operators across the piece, restaurants, hotels uh, in the US and in Europe, um, complaining they cannot get uh, enough staff to open up um, and and start business as they would like um, it's for those of us sitting in the UK we may think this is a particularly problem that is just to do with Brexit well I think Brexit may have exacerbated the problem in the UK but the problem is not unique to the UK um, so you've had staff on furlough who may or may not want to come back if they come back they're a bit rusty uh, you've got staff who may or may not have been on furlough but have drifted off to do other things in other sectors and um, for the whole of uh, hospitality it's a big problem because getting attracting people into these jobs to do them well will inevitably probably demand more cost there is clearly a short term i suggest it is a short term problem in the labor market right now um, i think you've touched on one issue chris in terms of the furlough piece the end of the day why would you want to get off your sofa and stop watching your netflix box sets um to go go back into you know back to work i i don't see you know until furlough ends and until there is no real other option um i think you've got that friction piece so i think thankfully um the uk chancellor has the the chief finance minister has decided um that furlough is not going to be extended i think that would have been massively problematic for hospitality um, employers had he extended furlough um so that i think that's actually a good thing um that that's not going on i think this will naturally adjust over the next few months as people realize well actually i am going to have to start you know working for a living again um <laughs> it looked like you, you had 18 months off on the sofa um now's the time to to get back to it as it were um and that reality is going to dawn i think mm. so there's a little bit of friction around that um we've also got um adding to the sort of employment issue we've got this madness at the moment where people are still having to self-isolate i mean you know this is just i mean there's been a lot of noise in the uk around schools but it's just as problematic um for for business as well where somebody test positive and the whole bubble you know everybody that's, that's come into contact with that person who's tested positive then has to self-isolate i mean it's just massively problematic so in hospitality you know if one of your waiting staff catches something uh, the whole lot goes you know the housekeeping 
same sort of thing well whatever it is you know you've got to get this so they have to sort this out and uh, uk hospitality has been campaigning for this quite rightly saying look we need to sort of test and release solution for this um so we've got this this labor friction that's there so i think there's certainly uh, you know a, 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 an issue but that will go away um as we get back to normality if 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 the authorities allow us to start getting back to normality um more of that later in the podcast i think chris <laughs> um but but I, yeah I, I think there's a longer term uh issue here and it is related to brexit but perhaps not in the way people think so i would argue and i think you know some of the better political scientists out there uh, you know have tried to explain why brexit happened and what lies behind all of the populist movements and i point to somebody like matthew goodwin who's a professor at kent university um and he talks about cultural values and the shifts there that's happened in the market that has had that has led to this this growing sort of populist sentiment if you like and uh, one of the key things underpinning that um has been how immigration has impacted that and the the position of um working class people people you know in the in the sort of bottom half of the labor market who have not really seen any increase in real wages in decades um and economists bang on about this a thing called the gini coefficient which is a measure of inequality well that rose tremendously in the 1980s during the sort of reagan thatcher period um i think we we had a necessary uh change to sort of how labor practices were 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 there um trade unions were overbearing and and damaging the economy um but in the process what we've done is we've grown inequality and that hasn't you know that hasn't really shifted even when we've had you know we had um tony we had a labor government in the uk for 13 years they really didn't change that uh, you know make a dent on that inequality whatsoever um and you had so what you had in a sense was a growing alienation of working class people from traditional left wing parties the labor party and in the uk we've got a situation now where um two out of three working class people actually vote conservative rather than the labor and there's this huge alienation there which has led to the brexit vote and the the rise in populist parties across continental europe as a result of this but but my basic point is i think you know the only way you're going to fix this is to be a bit more equal in terms of how wealth and income is distributed and too much of it is going to capital to little of it is going to labor and there's going to have to be a shift um and i think that my point is that investors and operators are going to have to get used to the idea of significantly higher um salaries being paid wages being paid to to the workforce that that is going to be a long-term shift in the market and those operators that are able to adjust to that the best those who are able to push forward with productivity um increases are the ones that are going to succeed in that and investors are going to have to 
plug into operators that are doing that in a sensible fashion and this i think is you know is highlighting the need yet again for investors to understand what is going on operationally here um and to be part of that process and that move um which i think you know is kind of like a tectonic plate shift which is going to happen and we we had that in the 80s uh, one way i think we're going to see that shift back the other way over the next few decades and it's quite clear where we've got we've got a right of center government here in the uk and it's quite clear where they are heading with this they are heading on on immigration control for lower paid workers they are you know and they are pushing strongly to see um working people paid more um um through that, that this is one of the solutions and if you listen actually carefully to the to um the uk hospitality that is recognized there um by them um listen to what ceo kate nichols has to say um in terms of uh where the focus has to be it's no good whining about brexit and wanting to import lots of cheap labor what what employers have to do is train and pay people better in the uk um that's that's if you like the new reality of where we're heading and this is the bigger longer term trend here right and so now we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the spanish market where uh, for a long while now there's been uh, hope and expectation that there might be some uh, distressed investment activity to be uh, to be jumped upon um and just recently a couple of decent sized deals or one particular large deal uh, has given perhaps given people hope um, which was a 460 million euro acquisition of a company called Salenta with uh, five decent sized hotels in uh, various cities in Spain uh, saw a, uh, some strong bids and eventually the winning bid was from Bain Capital and Stonewick who have come together to um, buy this portfolio and it's in fact their second recent acquisition in Spain because they also bought a hotel in Marbella uh, only a few weeks previously for probably around about a hundred million euros uh, so are these the tip of the iceberg is there going to be lots more deals well there's there's some other people hope hopeful Banco Santander and Signal Capital have just launched a new European hospitality fund um, putting in a hundred million euros each to seed it and so on the lookout but what we hear is that um, the deals I've just mentioned are perhaps uh, have got specific reasons for happening that may not be directly related to the hotel market specifically. And uh, the word on the street is that um, as the market starts to pick up in Spain, and indeed we've seen uh, booking volumes almost back to 2019 levels just in the last week or two, um, things are picking up, investors are holding on, banks are being gentle, and the big opportunity for distress sales at large looks like it's not going to appear. But um, having said that, there are still opportunities in the sort of more tourist driven markets, the Canaries, the Balearics and the Costas. And here uh, you've got a situation where the, the, the tour operators have had a very tough pandemic and they're not gonna come back in the, probably the same way and with the same strength that they did. So you've probably, perhaps got quite a few non-branded hotels in these holiday destinations that are ripe for picking off, turning around, repositioning and perhaps uh, putting a more international brand upon them for the future so um, not too much pain in Spain and uh, precious few bottom fishing investment opportunities 
yeah i know that's a theme which we can um, um take across all of the markets really uh in terms of you know forget about the distress sales you're going to see very very few of those um even in what is one of the most bombed out markets the resort market um it's looking very likely now that this summer's going to be tough um as tough possibly as last summer so there are two summers where very little money has been made um the balance sheets are, are of most resort properties are shot to bits but because they're privately held in most cases family owned um it's the one business they've got going for them um they're not going to be selling out cheap they're not going to be selling out at all necessarily i think the reality is though that to be competitive um they, they're going to need capital injection and the only way to get that capital injection is to stick a brand on the property and so there's going to be effectively uh sort of consolidation that way at least what we're going to see is more branding i think um and i think the the sort of serfdom which many resort hotels have suffered at the hands of the tour operators that that link has been broken um so i think this is an opportunity here for um we've talked about this in the past um within hotel analyst there's an opportunity here as you said chris for for hoteliers to go out and become independent of the tour operators especially where they've got some air link or the you know it's, it's drive to destination as well as a fly to destination nation um there's real opportunity to break that that link with the the tour operators um given um especially how weak tour operators um are right now so i think i think that's all all um interesting i think just i i commented in in my piece um for the perspective this week um i pointed to sir, a note put out by analysts at bernstein which i found fascinating um where they were surprise surprise uh pointing to the fact that um if a, a country uh, benefits from um domestic tourism they're quite keen on border controls and if they're losers from from having no international tourism they're not so keen on border controls you know what a surprise um but so follow the science yeah hey, a direct, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's direct correlation there between you know countries like greece portugal iceland turkey um who are going to take a, a big hit to gdp if international travel controls are in place um interesting i think uh, iceland was one i perhaps wouldn't immediately have popped into that but um they reckon um it's as high as 6.3 percent drop in gdp if 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 the uh controls remain in place um um hardest hits greece seven and a half percent hit to gdp um you know not surprising these countries are very keen to open up and they are doing all they can to keep the tourists coming in even from plague island uk <laughs> which has the delta variant and um you know they're still keen to let us in uh, less keen are norway canada germany brazil um brazil is interesting as well i wouldn't have put them necessarily in a beneficiary of uh, of of border controls but there you are they are um and they see an increase in their gdp if people are forced to holiday at home um in the case of norway a, a big two and a half percent in the classic northern europeans seeking that sun um uh, um therefore let's keep those border controls in place um and uh, france is slightly negative but not overly so so i think there that's hence the sort of franco-german push to to keep keep us on plague island in our in our place still um 
so uh, you know th that's that's where you know th this clear government pressure is on this i think we're just going to see this effectively um uh end um you know a force a very dismal summer on resort hotels um because even if there is finally a relenting of the restrictions people are going to be so skeptical so worried about you know all the complexity all the difficulties it's you know whether it's traveling through the airport whether it's if what happens if one of your party ends up with a um a positive test um all of this stuff just puts you off wanting to do it and um you know uh i have to say i mean i was i was nervous enough about um, the thanks to family holiday to scotland when i saw that um nicholas sturgeon was trying to ban people traveling in from um manchester i thought oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> what happens if we have a sudden surge in something or other here in cambridge is she ban gonna you. Yeah, yeah. meet us at the border with a yes. pitchfork yeah, yes. yeah so it's um um but uh but you know getting on a plane this year no I don't well know, there so. you go you've almost Pretty, pretty effectively covered our five stars and no star awards for this week there Andrew but, uh, so <laughs> here we are giving five stars for the clear demonstration of consumer demand um, and notably uh, some figures just out from SiteMinder which, which say that uh, for hotels in Spain demand booking volumes are pretty much at 2019 levels um, already across the country which is, which is great news um, and uh, yeah we're giving no stars to uh, those European politicians <laughs> who uh, who want to want to keep us all in our separate plague islands um, doesn't 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 yeah yeah no across Europe I mean it's uh, included within that is the mm. UK um, um, you know with, their, with our own quarantine stuff and you know the nonsense about the traffic lights and nobody can make head and a tail off what's going on and you know um, uh, it's incredible even you know traffic lights I think one of my favourite anecdotes about this whole thing is that when people you know the government clearly came up the UK government came up with a traffic light system because they thought it would be clearer and then you go and ask people um, in the UK whether they actually understand what traffic lights mean they don't they, you know what does amber mean uh, you know, does it mean stop proceed with does, caution you know, or uh, they just don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly that's so it, it provided it's provided no clarity whatsoever so um you know back to my point i think it's just just too challenging i mean of course people want to go away i mean i'm looking out the window now at a dark sky drizzle <laughs> um thinking oh dear you know i wouldn't mind some sunshine um so yet yeah, there is demand there and there will be in northern europe demand for that consistency of that southern tourism offer of good great weather um but you know um that's balanced off against all of these difficulties and restrictions but uh my hope my hope is that as we come out of this we start seeing um you know the, the whole of this sort of public health um panic i think is is how we would describe it in many ways now um given that we've got you know in the uk we've got a situation where you're more you know you're 10 times more likely to die from flu or pneumonia than you are from covid now despite the surge in in cases we're seeing you've still got that and that's the reality the link between hospitalization and this this disease has been broken um you know we're probably going to live with twenty thousand or so deaths each year um from covid but that's what we've have lived with via flu um 
since whenever um so we just adjusted that and and stopped trying to um save us from what is actually now uh, a very minor um health issue um and we need to just row back on this whole thing and the the test and trace well it's just not working you know uh, it's not it's making the situation worse rather than better and uh, we we've got the vaccine solution in place let's get on and get back to normal life and uh, if i've got one great hope for the uk is that we've got a health minister now in sajid javid who used to be our chief finance minister used to be the chancellor of the exchequer he understands what it means to keep the economy locked down he understands that we're going to have to start paying the bills we've racked up over the last few years over the last what uh, 18 months um, and the way to do that is to open up properly and to allow um, industries like travel and tourism to get back to normality so that's that's that that reality is beginning to to get there i think with the politicians and i um you know fingers crossed we we will get there ourselves and a positive outlook and we'll say goodbye for now 